Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, whether you are with us here on our West Campus or whether you're watching on Facebook Live. It's great to be with you this morning. Before we dive into our message, I have some really good news to share. You may be aware that our leadership has set a giving goal for all three of our campuses. So our giving goal for the end of the year for December was $700,000 across our campuses. And I am so excited to announce that our congregations combined gave over $900,000 to the Lord's work in the month of December. Amen. Amen. And I'm also super excited and I want to thank you for your generosity as a West Campus. We gave around $60,000. So amen, amen to that. Well, as you may know, as I've taken upon the leadership of the West Campus recently, as they say, I have not quit my day job. (laughs) And my day job, in a very simple sense, is helping people with their money. So our firm is a fee-only financial advisory firm. We provide independent, objective, and confidential counsel as it relates to individuals and families' financial matters. We don't sell insurance. We don't sell brokerage products. I'm a CPA. I'm a CFP. And I've been doing this for an awfully long time, over 25 years. (laughs) So I have seen everything you could imagine in this world. I've seen the good and the bad, and I've seen the big and the small. And also, I bring today a a sense of financial responsibility personally as well. I have tried very hard to honor uh, the Lord with my wealth, and at times I've done it, and at times I have not. But it has been great to see how God has been faithful in so many ways. So I have a question I want to ask you this morning. Have you been reading along in the Proverbs with us? Who has? Well, if you have, you have read recently Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Read this with me. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, you may ask yourself, what does that mean? How do I honor the Lord with my wealth? What does the Bible say? What does the Scripture say about finances, about wealth? Well, I tell you, I am super excited, super excited about our message this morning. This is the second message from our wisdom series from the Proverbs. Last week, we talked about wisdom broadly across all life's decisions, kind of set the stage for the month of January. Today, we're going to address wisdom as it relates to finances, and we're going to tackle five topics related to honoring God with our wealth, five traits, you could say, of a financially wise person. I'm going to share both my personal experiences, my professional experiences, and we're going to tackle a lot of text, a lot of scripture, probably more scripture than you've ever heard in a message ever. So what I'm going to suggest you do is just allow the biblical text to wash over you this morning. All right, let's dive in. The financially wise person is content with the blessings of God. Now, I don't want to overstate this, but you may have a hard time grasping how much God has blessed you, hard time grasping the the fullness of God's provision in your life. So the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary defines contentment as internal satisfaction, which does not demand changes in external circumstances. 
oh my goodness, where do I start? <laughs> I'm in a profession where you can make as much money as you want, depending upon how hard you work and your level of success. And personally, I have worked really hard to try to balance work life, family life, and ministry life. But this has truly been a juggling act for me. And in some respects, it's really forced, forced Julie and I to be much more content financially. But I have to admit, early on in my career, all I really cared about was making money. <laughs> and professionally, I have some clients that are super, super successful with a whole lot of cash, big portfolios, homes, and cars. But I can sense their lack of contentment. They have this ongoing desire for more and more. And as their advisor, I have to govern their expectations because I know this can be a significant detriment to their relationship with God. Well, we do see that the Proverbs are very instructive as it relates to financial contentment. If you're like me, you might read the Proverbs and view them as this disorganized basket of sayings. I get it. <laughs> but we're going to walk through them in a somewhat organized manner, in the order that they appear, so that you can follow along a little more easily. I'm going to provide a thought or two of explanation to each. So we'll kick it off, financial contentment, with Proverbs 16.8. Better a little with righteousness than much with injustice. So Solomon says, right living has much greater value than wealth. Proverbs 21.20, Solomon writes, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp their, theirs down. So scripture there says, don't consume all you have, but rather save some for the future. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off in the sky like an eagle. I love that. You see your finances flying off. So getting rich should not be our life priority. It should not be because riches we know can easily vanish. And then finally, Proverbs 25, 16, excuse me, Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. <laughs> so too much wealth can be detrimental to your soul. Have you ever thought that? So financial contentment is not just an idea we find in the Proverbs. The same truth echoes throughout Scripture. So we're going to walk through a few more verses in order of appearance as well. So first of all, Paul writes in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or living in want. So Paul wants us to know our circumstances should not dictate our contentment. That's hard, isn't it? Paul writes again in 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7, but godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. Think of a baby. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. So gain is found in our relationship with God. Gain is not found in our bank account. And finally, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have. My takeaway there is there are much better things in life to care about and to love than money. I know that's a lot of information on financial contentment. So how can we apply these particular concepts to our lives? Three pretty simple things, I think. First, put your faith above your finances. Put your faith above your finances. View your money with a kingdom perspective or an eternal perspective. Second, don't be envious of what your neighbor has. Don't look across the fence. This is not an exercise in keeping up with the Joneses. And then third, this is really important. View yourself as a renter or a steward as opposed to an owner. Everything you have is God's. It's all provided by God's. And he calls you to be wise with what he's given you. So financial contentment. The next, act, next aspect of honoring the Lord is with, with our wealth relates to debt. Debt. So the financially wise person avoids or manages debt well. Notice I say avoids or manages. Some debt should absolutely be avoided at all cost, while other debt is unavoidable, but we simply need to manage it. So our definition of debt comes from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Debt is something owed to another person, such as goods, property, or money. In Hebrew culture, debt was usually connected with usury, which is the business of lending money on interest. Now, I have to say personally, debt, for me, has been both a conqueror and it's been a conquest in my financial life. Julie and I struggled with way, way, way too much debt early on in our marriage. We wanted nice things long before we could afford them. We actually paid off all of our debt, including our mortgage, about six or seven years ago. We've since built a new home. We do not have a first mortgage, but we have a home equity line, which we use for, you know, for flexibility. And in my practice, I recognize that the freedom that clients have when they retire without any debt, <laughs> debt elimination has been a requirement in many respects for my counsel to, to clients. And those that haven't heeded to that advice, they find their portfolio struggling hard to try to keep up with their spending. On the other hand, clients that have no debt enjoy a lot of freedom. They enjoy the freedoms of security, increased travel to see family, and more robust giving to causes like church and other Christian interests. So much wisdom can be found in the Proverbs on debt. We'll start off with Proverbs 6, 1, 2, and 5. And Solomon writes, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. I love this. Solomon says, free yourself. Free yourself like a, like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. So what do we learn here? Don't make collateralizing your assets or pledging your assets a burden to yourself. If you do, free yourself where you can from what is owed. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. That is strong language. So we need to know that heavy debt 
puts us in a much weakened situation financially. God does not view the rich as better than the poor. And then finally, Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Solomon writes, Do not be the one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed, your very bed will be snatched away from you. That's sobering, isn't it? So unpaid debts can cause you to lose everything. Now, the New Testament has, I would say, one key passage here as it relates to debt. We're going to take a look at Romans 13, 7, and 8. So Paul writes, Give to everyone what you owe them. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Here we see the connection between our faith and our finances. Jesus paid our debts on the cross. In the same way, we should pay others back, be it forgiveness, be it a kind word, be it monetary payment. And this needs to be done in love. So there is a spiritual element to our finances, to our financial debt. So let's get practical. How can we apply what we learn regarding debt? So first of all, establish a budget. (laughs) It seems simple enough, but establish a budget. I would make that budget as detailed as you possibly can. This will help you understand where you're spending your money, where you're spending your discretionary cash flow. I'm going to put this next suggestion pretty frankly. I need to tell myself this. Don't buy things you can't afford. (laughs) Don't buy it if you can't afford it. Don't spend more than you make. Do everything you can to resist that temptation. And then finally, create a plan to eliminate all of your non-mortgage debt. Carry no credit card debt, no department store debt, no consumer debt. You'll be amazed at the freedom that this allows. Now, you may look at your situation and say, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? That may be overwhelming to you, and I get that. We have a suggestion for you uh, toward the end of the message here that I think should be helpful. So, be financially content. Manage your debt. Manage your expenses. What's next? The financially wise person makes faith-filled decisions regarding wealth. I was originally going to say makes good decisions (laughs) regarding wealth. But would you agree with me that all faith-filled decisions are good decisions? They are, aren't they? Because they lie within God's will. So the Lexham Bible Dictionary describes wealth as an abundance, an abundance of goods or money. Terms such as rich and poor are relative to the context in which they are used. Biblical writers considered wealth as an indicator of one's spirituality. Wealth as an indicator of one's spirituality. Now, would you agree with me? If that's the case, we better be wise about it, huh? (laughs) I think about investments. So on November 5th, uh, I purchased personally an investment that my son Austin and I had been researching. It is extremely volatile, this particular investment. It has gone up over 150% in the last nine weeks. 150%. Time will tell whether that was a good and wise investment. I probably ought to sell it. What do you think, Austin? (laughs) We're praying. So for clients, professionally, yes, yes, we do. Austin and I do 
suggest investments that can go up a lot, like the one that, that I own personally. But much more important, we suggest diversification. We suggest income. So wise decisions for the investor, they involve research. They involve comparison. They involve monitoring. And I wish that I could say that we prayed with every single client. We don't pray with all clients. I wish we did. We do pray with many clients, though. And when we do, we pray together for discernment and decision-making, protection of assets, meeting goals, meeting objectives. God has to be right in the center of this process for us. Now, there's lots and lots from Proverbs on wealth, lots on the rich and the poor. And we're going to let the text speak here. So first, Proverbs 10, 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now hear this. While poverty is multifaceted and does not always correlate to laziness, you certainly cannot expect wealth creation to come easy. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. This is important. What you have comes through God's provision as a blessing. Proverbs 13, 7. One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another person pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Would you agree with me that when you see someone who's pretending to have more than they do, that is just so ugly, isn't it? I encourage you to not be that person. Next, Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. <laughs> I've seen this in my practice. Get rich quick schemes. They usually fail, don't they? Proverbs 20, 14, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer. Then he goes off and boasts about the purchase. So Solomon wants us to know to make wise choices with our purchases. And once we've made that purchase, whatever it may be, we should not flaunt it. <laughs> two more on wealth. Proverbs 22, two. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Friends, the ground is level. <laughs> the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And finally, Proverbs 13, 16. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings she plants a vineyard. So what does this mean? Wisdom and financial decision-making, it can have its rewards. So the rest of Scripture touches on wealth as well. We'll start with a verse from Deuteronomy. So Moses in the Old Testament writes in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18, you may say to yourself, I love this, my power, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We have to know that it is God's power, not our power, that matters, that produces wealth. And then moving to the New Testament, Luke writes in Acts 4.32, talking about the early church. All the believers in the early church were one in heart and one in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. What a beautiful picture that is in the early church. 
They modeled sharing. They, they modeled supporting one another with their wealth. But then just a few verses later, we see in Acts 5, Luke tells a story about Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? This couple attempts to deceive God with their wealth, with their possessions. They lied about what they shared to the early church, and their actions are severe. They threaten the unity and the purity of the church, and it results in their sobering deaths. So we see in Scripture what God thinks if we are not generous with what we have. So let's apply these biblical concepts on wealth. Three points. First of all, start an investment plan or a savings plan. If you already got one going, increase it. Be diligent in setting money aside for your future needs. Needs to purchase a home, needs for education costs, needs for retirement. Second, don't take excessive risks with your investment. Sure, it's okay to have a flyer like the one I mentioned earlier, but have a core strategy that you employ with your money. And then finally, invest in the eternal. Don't invest in the temporal. Don't invest in the fleeting. Use your wealth purposefully. Use your wealth to advance relationships, Christian causes, and faith. Also, by bathing your wealth decisions in prayer, you will know that God is at the wheel. He's in control. All right, we're making progress. Three down. Next, the financially wise person avoids materialism and greed. Ouch. (laughs) It's getting real now, isn't it? So we're throwing off the gloves here. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary simply defines greed, listen to this, as excessive or reprehensible desire to acquire with covetousness. Acquire with covetousness. So for me personally, it is all a matter of the heart. I think that's where it starts. Julie and I have tried to put Jesus first, family first, church first, leading, teaching, sharing our faith. Put those things before our own needs, our own things, before stuff. And personally, I pray as much as I can to not want for more and more, but it's hard. It's not easy. I've invested in family through vacations, through coaching kids, and through saving for their educations. Julie and I have chosen ministry over personal pleasures time and time again. That said, I make mistakes daily. And professionally, my clients are all over the map on this. I can typically tell their hearts as we gather, as Austin and I gather information at the, at the start of the working relationship when we're building a personal financial statement for them. So some clients will provide for us every personal asset that they own with what seem to be very inflated values. And I would never say this to a client, but I want to say, I know where you live. Your home is not worth a million bucks. Others are remarkably understated and yet have $100 bills falling out of their pockets as they walk into our office. So we've seen it all. And you guessed it, Solomon is all over this. Talks about greed a lot in the Proverbs. We'll start with Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Solomon says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I will give it to you when you already have it with you. 
Solomon wants us to know greed can cause you to clutch tight to things as opposed to releasing things. Be certain that your posture is not one of avoiding obedience, but being being obedient with what you have. Proverbs 11.26 says, People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Please don't be a hoarder of your possessions. Next, Proverbs 11.28 says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous, they will thrive like a green leaf. You see growth and thriving when you make wise decisions. We're called to trust in God. Don't trust in our riches. Proverbs 20.21 says, An inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed in the end. I love this. Don't view your aging parent as a large down payment on your next house. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. Proverbs 21.6, A fortune made by lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. So wealth created dishonestly will be here today, but guess what? It can be gone tomorrow. Two more. Proverbs 22.16, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich. Both come to poverty. Would you agree with me that greed can result in financial inequality? We certainly see that in our nation today. And finally, Proverbs 28, 24. Here's another one for you, Dad. Whoever robs their father and mother and says, it's not wrong, is a partner to one who destroys. Friends, we cannot let greed destroy our family relationships. Would you agree? There's where you say amen, Betty. There we go. Now, the New Testament steals the show here as it relates to teaching on greed. A couple verses here. Luke 12, 15. Luke writes, Then he said to them, Watch out. This is Jesus speaking. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of profession or of possessions. I hear my mom saying that in my mind. So you are not defined by what you have. You are defined by who you are in Christ. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You've probably heard that before. Money is not a root of all kinds of evil. Money in itself is not bad, but the love of money surely is bad. And finally, I'm going to paraphrase James 5, 1 through 5. So James is writing to the early church in Jerusalem. He provides a warning to those that are rich oppressors. He claims their wealth, those that had been uh, oppressing the poor in Jerusalem, their wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten their clothes. They will weep and wail, James writes. So we know that God's judgment will come to those who oppress the poor. Don't oppress the poor. Three straightforward things stand out here as we consider the passages that relate to greed. First, don't be compelled to hoard your wealth and your possessions. 
have a purpose for everything that you have, for every account, for every purchase. Second, put others first. Put others first with your money. Does that thing, does that purchase benefit your spouse, your kids, your future? More importantly, does that investment, does that purchase please God? And then third, consider downsizing and simplifying your life, your financial life. Do you need that much space? Do you really need all that stuff? So finally, and most important, I believe, our fifth trait of a financially wise person. The financially wise person gives generously to the church and the poor. The financially wise person gives generously to the church and the poor. It has been said that you can see into a person's heart by looking at their checkbook. So let me ask you, what does your checkbook say about you? The Dictionary Bible Times describes generosity as the free and liberal bestowal or giving of wealth, possessions, and food upon others. The generosity of God is shown in his free bestowal of giving, of grace upon undeserving sinners. So we need to know that we should be generous to others. Why should we be generous to others? <laughs> because God is generous to us. Now, giving has been a game changer for Julie and me. Whenever we were in our early 30s, I turned my business over to God. I said, God, you are in control. We turned our checkbook over to God. We placed full faith in his provision in our lives. We began at that point in time to tithe to crossroads and give over and above our tithe for specific needs of the church, for missionaries and for other Christian causes. And for us personally, I think Julie would agree, this was the final domino for us in our faith. That was the last stronghold that was there. And God has blessed us. We feel his contentment. We feel a sense of comfort and present in presence of him in our financial lives. As, this, as I suspect you've gathered, I view, my, I view my practice entirely through the lens of my faith. So I pray that Austin and I can enhance client situations in a manner that bolsters our client's ability to give. We promote generosity. We promote stewardship in our meetings. And I remember specifically a time years ago, probably 20 years ago, where a client made a gift to a cause that I simply did not believe in. Wrong cause. While I was respectful, it gave me the opportunity to share my faith. So the Proverbs are filled with wisdom about giving and about generosity. First one, Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. God wants us to know that you cannot outgive him. You can't outgive God. He rewards the giver. And as this verse says, generosity is refreshing to the soul. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Jesus gave us an example in this regard. Would you agree? Jesus served and he gave to the poor as an example to us. 
Two more. Proverbs 18, 16 says, A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. I love that. So giving creates opportunity for greatness. Now, is that earthly greatness? No, it's heavenly greatness. So be generous. Then finally, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Very popular verse. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So God wants us to give to our friend and our enemy alike. And we need to know that he is watching and supporting us. So what does the Bible say, the rest of the Bible, about giving and generosity? A couple verses here. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 16, 17, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. In proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. The more God has given you, the more you give back to him. And this is probably my favorite verse in all scripture uh, regarding finances. The minor prophet Malachi. Malachi 3, 8, and 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And then Malachi writes in verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What powerful words from Scripture. We can receive the bounty of God's heavenly blessing if we tithe. He will bless us. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. This passage says, give with humility. I'm just going to paraphrase this. Do not announce it with trumpets, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your left hand, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So we know here that a humble giver receives honor and righteousness, but he receives it from God, not from others. Right living involves giving. And then Matthew 19.21 says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Do that first, Jesus tells the rich young ruler. Then come follow me. So I think our question this morning is, could your possessions be a hindrance? Could they be a hindrance to your relationship with Jesus? And then finally, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give in your heart what you have decided to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We have to remember, in the end, what we give is between us and God. So I want to encourage you with a few application points here as it relates to giving. Three things. First, tithe. Tithe. Tithe to your church. Scripture directs that a tithe is 10% of your income. Now, people ask all the time, is it before taxes or is it after taxes? How many times have you heard that? 
Well, no need to be legalistic about it. You might have been waiting for an answer there. I don't have one. <laughs> no need to be legalistic about it. It's really more about heart posture than anything. But give first to God. That's what we learned from Scripture. Next, choose a Christian organization or a missionary to support. We have a lot of Christian organizations that we're deeply connected with here at Crossroads. Potter's Wheel, we have a deep connection with. Student Christian Fellowship, our own Keller Stem leads that ministry. Community One, led by former Crossroads pastor Eric Cummings. Choose one of those organizations and give generously. Also, you might know that we have missionaries that we support all over the world. You have a few that are dear to you. Please connect with them and be generous. And then give to those that are direct, that need, need help directly. You know a family that's hurting. Be creative in how you give to the poor, those that are homeless. You don't have to receive a tax deduction for your giving. All right. Well, I know I've thrown a whole lot at you this morning. Thank you for sticking with me. Let's summarize it in one big statement. So hear this. Wisdom brings financial contentment and helps you steward God's blessings through managing debt, making wise wealth decisions, avoiding greed, and giving generously. It's a mouthful. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> so Bible Money Matters claims that there are over 2,000 Bible verses that relate to money. 2,000 of them. See, there's a few that we didn't read today, right? So if Scripture mentions it that much, it must be important to God. So we've provided practical application points on how to honor the Lord with your wealth. Now we're going to close with three takeaways. We're going to try to, kind of try to tie a bow around it. So I want to encourage you to take personal inventory of all that God has provided you, all that he's provided you financially, and be a wise steward with it. So how can you do that? So let me ask you, have you taken Financial Peace University? Who's aware of that ministry? Great ministry. So we offer this regularly at Crossroads. There are online options as well. There's actually an online class that starts tomorrow through our Newburgh campus, online tomorrow. Dave Ramsey leads that ministry. It's a wonderful ministry. He's got some great stuff. You can check that out at DaveRamsey.com. Connect with Kelly. She can help direct you in that way. Second, have you sought wise counsel? with your situation. Proverbs 15:22 says plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. You can have all different types of counselors. Friends or family can help you. An independent advisor that has your interests in mind. Our Christian Counseling Center at Crossroads is is very good in this regard. These are all good options. And finally, think about what we talked about today. Choose one area of growth for you. One thing that you need to work on. Maybe it's financial contentment, debt management, wealth decisions, avoiding greed, generous giving. Think about that. Take steps today to meaningfully improve your situation. And as we close, your money may be the final stronghold of your walk in faith, just like it was for Julie and me. I want to encourage you to release 
your finances to God. Release them. Put him in control. Honor God with your wealth. And as Solomon writes, may God fill your barns to overflowing. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, boy, we tackled a lot today, God. Uh, You teach us so much in Scripture about how we can honor you with our wealth. God, may we look at financial decisions through the lens of faith. God, may we have contentment, and may we truly live within your will, God. May we be generous and manage what you have provided us well. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.